0: So my next interview is with a filmmaker and politician. It might seem like an unlikely... Pairing, but what's really kind of interesting is uh, the reason why these two guys are together is because they're promoting and talking about a new show called Political Blind Date. You can find it on TVO. It's streaming there. I believe it's going into its next season and been renewed for another one. And we're talking about, uh, very specifically, we end up talking about a a political issue, a a real practical issue, actually, for Canadians and for Ontarians here, uh, electrical rates we talk about the climate uh, crisis, we talk about climate change, we talk about how to actually make a difference and stepping into a problem. And and we talk about Socratic dialogue and uh, about empathy and what it means to, to, you know, not only have a good conversation, but have a conversation that actually gets you somewhere else. Because sometimes, as Peter's going to say, you know, he's going to remind you, I mean, it's not just about the conversation, it's about where you wind up. And uh, this is about Stepping in Somebody Else's Shoes. This is a show, uh, and I don't mean face-to-face here, but I, I hope face-to-face as well, but this is a show about stepping into other people's shoes. It's about empathy, and, you know, Roger Ebert called films uh, empathy-making machines, and I think great conversations are the same, and so Mark and Peter and I have a great time uh, on on uh, this interview, in this interview, so stay tuned, and uh, there's, there's insights, and uh, there's 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 uh, there's a lot of comedy, and I think there's uh, some serious substance uh, about what's going on, not only in in the world, but uh, very specifically to Ontario and to Canada. But but I think uh, there's so many lessons here to be learned and, and picked up on for for any listener from around the globe. So hope you enjoy it and uh, step right into the conversation with Mark and Peter coming right up. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my public speaking and my writing. You can buy a copy of my book. Real change is incremental there. Uh, And also, really excited about two live uh, uh, interviews coming up, live on stage interviews at the Oakville Center in. Uh, Oakville, Ontario. We have two uh, different guests, filmmaker John Walker in October. We have Emma Hansen in April. And so look for those uh, online. You can buy tickets there if you're interested. Send me a note. So it's going to be me hosting a live conversation uh, in front of, uh, well, we hope a sold-out crowd, about 450 people. So come on out and uh, look into that uh, if you dare. Uh, You can also advertise on Face to Face. You can do that through our newsletters. You can do it online. We can do shout-outs for you during interviews. We've got a great following now. And and um, if you want to also support the work we do, and, and you can't advertise or don't have a need to, you can do that through Patreon. And check that out. Uh, Patreon as well. Uh, place a platform where people like myself are trying to raise funds and support the work that they are doing. If you believe in what we're doing, we'd really appreciate it. And if you can't do that, a, a review on iTunes would be brilliant it's amazing what a little digital dialogue will do to uh, increase your ratings and just from a social media perspective get word on the street sign up for our newsletter send it out to your friends and don't forget rabble.ca as well for a whole host of other interviews and uh, journalists and podcasts it's a place uh, where a uh, face-to-face sits it's a, a, a platform where i'm also uh, featured so check it out rabble.ca and don't touch that dial coming right up, peter Tabbins and Mark Johnson talking about political blind dates. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by two very special guests here with us today. Uh, uh, Peter Tabbins uh, uh, and uh, Mark Johnson are here today to talk about Well, I guess they're here to talk about all things political, but they're really here to talk about political blind dates. And maybe uh, I hope you I hope my listeners can hear the the smile uh, in my in my uh, my tone and um, my facial expression. But but uh, Peter, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for joining
1: us. Pleasure, David. Pleasure.
0: So, you know, either of you, you know, after having watched this, I'd love to hear from either of you on on sort of the genesis of the project on. uh, I mean, I certainly have some some thoughts. And by the way, congratulations on these on these political blind dates, Mark. Maybe maybe that's the best way. in. tell us a little bit about that, uh, about about what the vision was and about how. How this has sort of fallen into place? TVO uh, season four. You've been renewed for season five. People can find it on on the TVO site, and as far as I know, can stream it there. But love to hear a little bit more about what's behind these blind dates.
2: Yeah, I really it, it started between uh, myself and my two partners, Tom Powers and Amanda Handy, and we were really fed up with uh, the rancorous nature of question periods that we were seeing in Ottawa and at Queen's Park and conversations that might fly across the floor of city council in Toronto and, and we, we, we saw an article in the Guardian during the 2015 general election in the UK that, that was simply um, a transcript of two politicians going out for coffee and mm-hmm. we thought we can do something bigger and more ambitious and we can take on big themes and try to put politicians together to, to discuss serious policy issues that we we thought um, you know might not always be covered in the way media is structured. So you know we we took a chance with TVO and CPAC have been uh, partners in it, and the first couple seasons the Toronto Star was a part of things, and and um, we took a chance and um, had a number of early adopters like the present premier of the province and Jagmeet Singh and a number of other politicians, and and they were game. And, and uh, something started to snowball. So we, you know, it's, it's been a lovely ride so far. So can, is it fair to say,
0: I love the way you say you sort of heard this, you heard about these two politicians going out for a coffee. I mean, this idea, and it comes out in, the, in, in, in this film. It's there, uh, Mark, typically they're about, what, 25-minute pieces? Is that right?
2: They're 28 minutes long, and tw- we do six episodes per season. And
0: it's kind of like the 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 one side of the house goes out for the first date, and then the other side of the house gets to lead on the
2: other portion of the date. Is that is that right? And they're blind, so and they're blind. For example, you know, Peter takes Bill Walker, the Associate right. uh, Minister of Energy in Ontario, to meet people or go places that Bill doesn't know where he's going, and vice versa uh, for for uh, Bill with Peter.
0: So, so you get a little bit of that surprise, a little bit of that, uh, a little bit of that humanity, Peter. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but I think you bring it out really beautifully uh, at the end of this particular episode. And you talk about, hey, I'm I'm kind of open to to anyone who's coherent, anyone who's got a logical position. I'm pretty sure it was you said something. You know, I'm I'm willing to listen, and and isn't that kind of what's wrong with political debate today? That that so many of us aren't coherent, that so many of us aren't taking a logical
1: position of one kind or another? You've asked a very huge question. It's, it's, it's a biggie. It's a biggie. All kinds of people are logical. I, I've been involved in electoral politics for the greater part of the last 30 years, and I was on Toronto City Council, dealt with a lot of city councillors, and for the most part, if someone could keep their word I was willing to sit down and talk with them and see if we could find common cause to get something done. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think generally, it's not a question of people not being able to talk to each other because we do all the time. Uh, It really is a a reflection of different political interests driving parties and the outcomes that they want. So, I'm dealing here in the legislature with a party that has an interest in making rich people a lot richer. Uh, and in cutting social services, uh, cutting some fundamental services of people of Ontario. Um, and so I can talk to them, and they are rational, but their goal doesn't change. Mm. Uh, and it was interesting doing this show um, with Bill Walker, who I've known for years, and we disagree all the time. And the, if you've seen the show, that will be obvious. But Bill is someone you can talk to. And if there are areas where we see a common interest that doesn't get obscured by other political drivers, then I don't have a lot of doubt that we can actually solve problems. Uh, And I have to say I fought with the Liberals when they were in power, pretty heavy duty, but on occasion there were things that I raised with ministers and put pressure on them to attend to that they were willing to attend to because it didn't threaten any core interest that the liberals were holding. So I I think often people have this theory that if politicians could just talk to each other in a civil way, we get get better policies. I don't think that's true. Um, But I do think being able to talk to each other in a civil way can be very useful when those opportunities do come up to solve a problem that isn't already defined by a political interest.
0: No, it's really really interesting, Peter. I, I I was reading. I think it was, and Mark helped me out here. But I think this month's McLean's magazine. There's a great piece about about the show, and and again, congrats. But there's there's a line in there, and there's a couple that I sort of drew out for our conversation today. And 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 I love your comment, Peter, too, about how just because people are talking about something doesn't mean it's going to necessarily you know change things or move things forward. But 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 it does something, I think. And and I think it i hope it at least creates empathy but i love this line out of the article and it said something to the effect of we've been on council together for nine years and we hardly even know each other this is this is a problem isn't it with with i mean just debate of any kind or or it seems to me and and maybe it's 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 a problem that's easily solvable but but breaking bread with one another having a coffee together i love how you and bill sit down at the breakfast bar to have, you know, your, 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 your political, your blind date starts at the breakfast bar. And I, I just thought that was so wonderful from a metaphorical perspective.
1: <laughs> well, so did I. And Motorama is a great restaurant. I urge everyone to go there, Nice. have coffee and breakfast. Um, but it was fun. I, I mean, part of the thing that was really great about this show was uh, that Mark and his whole team picked Bill um, because he's, He's such a good guy to spend time with. Uh, but I also have to say, we, we all do talk to each other a fair amount here. And I, I know talking a few years ago, I talked to a, a woman, a liberal who'd been elected from Hamilton, and she'd been here about three or four months, and she and I were chatting in the hallway, and she said, it is so strange here. It's so much the reverse of everyday life. She said in public we attack each other all the time and say terrible things. and then in private, we're actually very friendly and things get along really well. And she said, you know the other normally in in the rest of the world it's the other way around and it's true. I, I think people see question period, which is well, not great theater but theater um, right and assume that that's you know 12 12 of the 12 working hours, or waking hours that we have, but an awful lot of the rest of the time, um, people do talk. And I've actually been engaged in debates in the legislature where uh, people I disagree with have made really useful comments and made me think again, well, you know, that's a perspective uh, that's worth considering when I go forward on it. And I hope, although I cannot be sure, that occasionally I've said things that, the other side catches on to. I I referred to the Ontario Energy Board once as a bunch of Muppets, and um, there were a number of cabinet ministers who were clearly entertained by that. And whether it changed their whole opinion of the regulatory body here in Ontario, I'm not sure, but it certainly opened the door.
0: Were they they as entertaining as the Muppets, though, Peter, is the question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good point, David. That is a good point
1: not as much not, not a, as
2: much. that's right yes um, yeah. mark when you I, I when, just wanted to yeah. jump in for yeah, a second go. and 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 that story that you're telling about the mclean's article and i recommend everybody go out and buy a copy on the newsstands this month is uh, that that was shelly carroll and gary crawford right that we're talking about hmm. on toronto city council the former budget chief and the present budget chief Who are in the first episode of this third season. And and the story you're referring to is when they had their coffee together, um, you know, a lot of people and Gary knew that that Shelley's daughter, you know, has autism and that's very much a part of her public persona. But he told the story of how his daughter was born prematurely and has had disabilities Mm -hmm. uh, since. And no one in the public knew that, including his colleague on council. Who said, who was struck um, by finding that piece of information out? I mean, I think there are surprises that we've encountered about people not knowing things about each other. And I think it has been positive um, that people have discovered things about each other personally. And, and you know, recommendations to be on the show we, we have discovered have come from odd places When we worked with that conservative oil patch MP from Alberta, Shannon Stubbs, I had her on the phone and I said, oh, wow, you you know, Garnet Jenis, your Alberta conservative MP must have recommended you do the show. And she said, oh, no, I had a glass of wine with Nathaniel Erskine Smith, (laughs) you know, in Ottawa, uh, the liberal MP from the beaches in Toronto. And he told me I should do the show. And I thought oh, okay, I'll do the show.
0: Oh, that's funny. So that,
2: you know, with the kind of surprising connections that we've discovered along the way like that. P- Peter,
0: and I'm listening to, I think either of you could answer this question. I'd love to hear it from sort of the producer, writer, director, kind of how you saw and envisioned the show and and Peter as the the the, the politician and the change maker. But, is it is it is it really rooted in sort of this sense of Socratic dialogue? I, i've I've got a background in philosophy, the idea of you know, uh, iron sharpening iron, I suppose. Uh, or is that just a little bit
1: too lofty? That may be a little bit too lofty. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say that my experience was um, the two of us testing out our ideas and arguments in a friendly way. Um, And we disagreed, but we were willing to keep burrowing in and see what we knew and what we didn't know. Uh, So Socratic seems a bit fancy and lofty for what we do in the legislature. Uh, And many teachers and high school students would say the same, having witnessed us. Uh, But in this format, there really is the chance, without formal speeches, without a a forum in which there are a whole bunch of actually roam over the the landscape
2: of argument and thought and provoke each other and i think um i've discovered that you know having that opportunity for you to range and have the discussion but meet constituents mm. meet, uh stakeholders um in place in situ um you know uh, whatever that person may be and however they're affected by policy i think that is I find has been um, really useful, I hope, to the politicians who are on the journey, but but to the audience, certainly, to be able to see someone affected by a policy decision, it, you know in place, uh, having you know, having the discussion with the the decision makers. I, I think I think has appealed to an audience, and we've we've discovered that our uh, largest segment to the of the audience for TVO, for this show is 25 to 34 year old women. Huh. You know that normally TVO's audience would skew 50 plus male, but I think it sent a bit of a reverberation through TVO to discover that the show has a young audience. And I think I'm going to guess that um, perhaps tired of partisan bickering right. from time to time that a young audience Likes the show because it presents this, you know, friendly, as Peter said, you know, way of discussing policy differences um, without the speeches, without having a party whip behind them or whatever else is at work politically. So that, that it's 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 been a really interesting journey in those terms, too.
0: I, I, you know, it's interesting that Mark, and this is obviously the gift of the director and the editor, but also uh, Peter as well. In the conversation, when you were pushing back a little bit on 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 um, I forget the, the the gentleman's name, but Bruce Bruce generated Station about about the five hundred million dollars, you didn't yeah. you 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 didn't get an answer to the question.
1: I noticed that.
0: Right, <laughs> I bet you did. Um, but but still, there was this. The point was made. The point was made to the audience. Bill must have taken the point, and it—I mean, not to you know—does it end there? I guess is the is the bigger question. What goes on after? You know, what is part two to political blind date? Is there you know—is there a work back? Is there a follow up? Uh, what what what's what are our takeaways? You know what I mean? Or is this really just a conversation that ultimately isn't really going to go a whole lot of places? Or are we seeing the beginning of some you know fertile soil that 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 needs to be watered by Canadians everywhere? And I think that for me. Mark is what's and, and Peter, too, is what's exciting, not only about what you do, Peter, as a politician, but Mark, what you're doing as a, as a storyteller. You know, you're planting seeds, watering them and getting people, I hope and I trust, engaged.
2: Yeah, you, you know, um, whether it's this show or whether I think back about last year's episode uh, w- with Marco Mendicino and Glenn Motts about Bill C-71, um, you know, the gun, the proposed gun legislation, I, I know, I think I can say, Safely, that behind the scenes, you know, that making the episode may have made them, you know, meet as potential partners in talking about, um, you know, uh, amendments to the legislation because they knew each other, whether, you know, at least it kind of made them more familiar with each other so they might be more open to discussing. Um, You know, there have been a couple of episodes like that. I know when Gary and Nanda Sangari, a Liberal MP from Scarborough, and Jenny Kwan, NDP MP from Vancouver East, uh, last year, you know, examined how uh, caretakers are treated when they come from another country in terms of their immigration status. You know, I know that they both, having served on the Immigration Committee, I know changes happen. I'm not saying we're a part of that, but certainly having the public understand the challenges faced by people coming from other countries to be caretakers and that they needed to have permanent resident status upon arrival, you know, I know that we got a few hundred thousand viewers to be able to at least, you know, be exposed to the idea. And I don't know what might have happened in conversations between the two of them after they got back to Ottawa, but but if we can even in some tiny way create a little sliver of productive conversation, then and and, and not just between the politicians. For us, it's about the audience, right? Right. To allow hundreds of thousands of people to examine a policy um, and policy decisions going on on an issue. That if we can do that and create conversation amongst uh, uh, voters. than than I think our job has been done. Yeah, and I'd just like to add to that,
1: that in many ways, the audience is far more the people who are going to watch the show than me being an audience for Bill or Bill being an audience for me. Uh, My hope is that people will listen to the arguments that both of us bring forward and think about them and explore, weigh them, debate amongst themselves and come forward with our own assessment of what's going on. So I, I think to the extent that we participants in the show can provoke debate and thought um, that we've done something really valuable. I would say in terms of the legislature, uh, having had two days, <laughs> spending uh, two days in the company of each other, um, I think it would be easier to have substantial discussions where, again, it's more a question of a practical problem-solving issue that's before us rather than trying to get one or the other concede that their own party's program and platform didn't make sense. That ain't going to happen. Um, And it's, uh, I think, in part because When you work on a party program or platform around energy or any other issue, um, you think it through and generally that reflects your values and your understanding of the world. But you can, through interaction, come to a conclusion that someone is a person you can work with and actually do Mm. useful things did uh,
0: peter do you did you find do you find empathy is the key uh, to being you know i i think the question i really want to ask you is what makes a good politician what makes a great politician and is it empathy is it is it the ability to listen obviously it's about policy and changing and so on and dialogue but i just wonder you know there's all kinds of layers to this i suppose but were you able to walk in bill's shoes for 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 a few hours those couple of days you know
1: without Um, without a doubt, I have to say, Bill represents a gorgeous part of the world, right? If you've been through that countryside, he's extraordinarily lucky in that wherever you go, there is this fabulous landscape. Um, There's Lake Huron, there's Georgian Bay, there's um, a really great community that he relates to. And so I got a sense of how he interacted for him uh, the different villages and small towns were effectively what I find to be the neighborhoods in my downtown Toronto uh, riding. And my experience is I can walk from one to the other. Um, he has to drive a bit further, actually, to knit those communities together. So there is a, an ability when you spend time together like that to get a sense of how the other has to deal with the real world around them. Mm. And you ask a question of, what makes a politician successful or useful. Um, There is no one trait that I think makes the difference, but obviously empathy and listening are critical to connecting with people and to usefully understanding what they need to have done in the world. And when you can do that, you can move people. If you don't understand what's important to them and how they see things can change, you can't make a difference.
2: Mm. I just wanted to jump in and say, uh, it's interesting that that motivation that, that you know, we're motivated making the show to pick the issues that we know uh, are important to, to the viewers and that they, there may be something missing in the dialogue around a, uh, an issue or a policy. And we carefully try, you know, this energy in Ontario issue, we've been trying to make that episode for years. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there's been a change in government, a bit, but we really wanted to have this conversation about energy policy, about hydro rates. You know, it, it's influenced elections, right, As a as a yeah. high-ranking issue. And we really worked hard, and it took us years to finally get Peter and Bill as what, you know, two people that were willing to have the conversation. And so for us, that's a big part of our motivation you know we're looking forward at doing uh, you know an episode on pipelines in the western part of Canada we are actually looking at a Western alienation episode with senior MPs in Ottawa we're trying to we're trying to look at taking issues that we think we can add a little bit extra for voters or the audience however you want to refer to them so so we're motivated to Try to get at those what we think as a group of filmmakers might be the issues that an audience wants to think about It's interesting your the
0: your demographic and how it skews. I would imagine they're very much concerned about the environment and climate and so on um, peter is this the most critical issue of our time i mean and and at the same time as you answer that, if you don't mind, tell me what exactly is an energy critic
1: Ah. well I'm very critical
0: that's Uh, right yes yes
1: well I think in terms of stability of human society uh, climate the climate crisis is the central issue I think it's intertwined with other issues like income inequality uh, like social inequity I mean there are a wide variety of things that it is connected to but if you don't have a stable environment and you have temperatures that people can't live in, uh, then, frankly, you don't have a society and you may not have people. So I see it as pretty pretty critical. Um, and what is an energy critic? My job is to follow a uh, two-part, follow what the government is doing in the energy field, dealing with electricity and fossil fuels, uh, and understand it and push it to a direction that I think is socially productive and that's one side and the other side is to be thinking about where do we need to go as a society when it comes to energy Uh, and very concretely how do we make our energy system a sustainable system so that I both criticize and propose so I've spent a lot of time putting together private members bills that set out a direction for this society, this society here in Ontario, to become sustainable. Uh, it's though that, that mix, David, that I think expresses my function in, that, in this legislature.
0: Well, I love how you say, Peter, you could, I think you said you criticize, but you also propose. So, so this isn't just this. I mean, when you hear the word critic, you, you know, I think so many of us just think, oh, this is the job of someone who tears others down or tears, you know, that, and that's a part of the Socratic method, you know, I'm going to chisel away at you, but I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to step in your shoes. Right. And, and and I'm I'm not gonna be empathetic and, and actually listen. And that's yeah, it seems to me that's not gonna that's not gonna get us to very many uh, productive places.
1: No. No, you you have to develop a profound understanding of how others see the world if you're gonna have even the faintest hope of shifting that understanding in areas where it needs to be shifted. So,
0: so talk to me a little bit about this, this, this sort of this energy kind of um, mess that we find ourselves in. Renewables and 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 wind power and seven point six to fourteen point four cents uh, a kilowatt hour and so on. Uh, what what's next? I mean, so obviously you've you've got people like yourselves who are, who who are who are criticizing, who are proposing. How do how do we start moving? that uh, that needle?
1: Well, I guess there are a few things here. First, you need to understand what has happened in Ontario uh, so that you can understand the situation we're in and get a sense of the trajectory you can chart for the future. Mm. And we have had a situation now since Mike Harris was elected in the mid-90s of a privatization of the electricity system that has shaped the policies of both that initial conservative government, shaped the policies of the liberal government, and now drives the policies of the current conservative government. And in all of those cases, what you have is a centering of the system on private profit rather than on producing the energy we need in a sustainable way to have uh, a just and prosperous society. And I hope that isn't too much verbiage, but... If, in fact, all your decisions about energy are shaped by whether or not a company is going to make a fortune, as opposed to, will we produce the energy this society needs so it can function well uh, and provide people with employment, you have very different outcomes. And certainly, when you had Harris breaking up the old Ontario hydro, uh, and it did need to be shaken up, let's not kid ourselves. It had profound problems, Mm. but this is not the solution. Uh, then suddenly you have a whole class of lobbyists and interest groups that hover around Queen's Park looking for opportunities to get rich off their own particular project. And I'd say we certainly see that with privatization of Bruce Nuclear. Uh, It's clearly an extraordinarily profitable enterprise. Uh, You see it with the development of all kinds of privately owned gas-fired power plants. Um, And although I think we need the renewable energy. I think we would have been far better off if it had been publicly owned. Uh, So we've got privatization, we've got interest driving uh, their agenda of making a lot of money. And so it's no surprise that we see soaring prices and we see, because fossil fuel interests are so powerful in the society, Mm -hmm. um, the establishment of a big fleet of gas-fired power plants whose production is gonna ramp up dramatically in the next decade, decade and a half, uh, so that we will see, uh, let's see, five to six times more greenhouse gas emission from our electricity system uh, per year in the next decade, decade and a half than we saw, say, even two years ago. We're headed back to levels of greenhouse gas emissions that we last saw when we were burning coal. Uh, People are upset with the Tech uh, Frontier oil sands plant in Alberta, which will be putting out uh, four megatons of greenhouse gases a year. Well, here in Ontario, our our electricity system within a decade to a decade and a half will be triple that. Uh, So people rightly get worried about the greenhouse gas emissions from that oil sands plant. Um, But we in Ontario are on a trajectory to triple the impact, and as long as you've got a a government that really doesn't value action on the climate crisis, doesn't in its bones believe that it's real, and does value the money that's going to be paid to investors, uh, then you're going to continue to have investments and actions that accelerate that global crisis, that climate crisis.
0: Bill Bill said something, I think it was bill anyway, in near the end of the episode, and he talked about policy being help me out here, either of you, but policy being um, dependent on practicality and not political whim, um very very alliterative and 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 a, and a lovely phrase. But my guess is you you wouldn't buy any of that necessarily, Peter.
1: Well, I, it's very strange. I don't think this is a very practical government, right, right, I, right. And I didn't think that the wind government was very practical. I mean, privatizing Hydro One, losing a huge source of revenue and a critical piece of infrastructure for driving Ontario's energy future didn't strike me as practical. It struck me as politically expedient, but not mm. practical. And this is a government that is continuing to borrow, while well now borrowing about five and a half billion dollars every year to keep hydro prices down as opposed to actually dealing with the deep structural problems that we have in the electricity field. That doesn't strike me as as practical or sustainable. Uh, When conservatives use the term practical, it generally means what we're doing now is what we need to do. Um, But that is not the same as being practical. Practical is how do you have an energy system that you can afford and that doesn't destroy the environment that you live in?
0: Well, practical uh, reads not uh, read sustainable. It seems to me. I just yes. I wondered I wondered if if there was sort of a short term versus a long term kind of an approach there. If that makes sense.
1: Um, they're deeply intertwined. Uh, we'll just say that that five and a half billion dollar a year subsidy to keep electricity prices down you couldn't drop it immediately because people couldn't handle. I think. The dramatic increase in their hydro bills, um, but you could, over the term of a government, cut it dramatically while you dealt with the structural problems that we face. That that would be a practical thing to do. So sadly, guys, we're going to have to
0: wrap up in, a, in in a few minutes. I can't believe how quickly our time's gone. It's crazy. Um, but but do Peter, can you talk uh, a little bit about? about some of the solutions for you and maybe solutions even small ass I mean you know you talked a little bit about wind wind power came up um, the solar and 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 the cutting of of that program that's cost the government 700 million dollars I believe the cutting of the solar power program can you talk a little bit about some of those more I guess if we, we uh, for lack of a better word practical solutions
1: well we are going to have to eliminate carbon emissions from our electricity system, and in order to do that, we are going to have to move away from burning fossil fuels. And that, in the process of doing that, and that's not going to happen overnight, we're talking decades mm-hmm. and a half, uh, but in the co- course of doing that, if you were to have and something we in the NDP have proposed, a very large-scale program of retrofitting people's homes so that their homes came pretty close to net zero or were net zero. Um, you could provide those electrical services, the, the electrical, the energy uh, value at far less cost than we're spending now. Uh, new wind power in Alberta is coming in around four cents a kilowatt hour. Well, we're spending 12 cents for gas-fired power. We're going to be spending 17 cents a kilowatt hour for nuclear power from Darlington. So we're in a situation where everything that we want to do that's renewable, that cuts our bills, is also going to provide us with sustainability. And we, we argued, for instance, when the government was looking at refurbishing the Darlington nuclear power plant, that they needed to look at a business case that included conservation and renewables because of cost. We still think that all the energy decisions that we make should go through a rigorous business case that looks Mm -hmm. at both cost and sustainability. And I don't see that with this government. So for us, investing in people's homes and businesses to cut their energy use dramatically, far cheaper than building new generation or new power lines, doing a business analysis of all other energy investments gives us the opportunity to take advantage of the lowest cost and most sustainable technologies that are getting more and more attractive every day. Uh, So all of those things, David, all those opportunities are out there. Mm. We just currently don't have governments that are interested in taking on the private interests that oppose them.
0: There was something Bill said too, you know, and it's not just a, he's not here, so he can't speak into it. And I would love for him to have been a part of this conversation, but, but he talked about gas and it just made me think briefly, you know, it, and I think this is the short and the long, and it's so easy for me on this side of the fence to say, Hey, well, why don't you just do this, this and this, but gas is pretty easy, right? I mean, it, it just seemed, I mean, it, 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 Creates heat almost instantaneously. The the analog holds, right? So so why would we bother with R and D and 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 potential for you know massive wind farms and these things that are so costly when when we've got access here and now and I and I wonder if if that's the practicality that uh, you know uh, Bill was talking about to some degree.
1: Yeah, but not if you look at the numbers. Mm. Mm-hmm new wind power is dramatically cheaper than gas power. It just just is. And we're gonna be in a situation if we continue to stick with fossil fuels that other jurisdictions like Alberta, for instance, that's buying wind power at 4 cents a kilowatt hour, they will become more more attractive to investors who need energy because they can offer cheaper energy. Part of the reason Ontario became an industrialized society at the beginning of the 20th century is we developed renewable power, hydropower, uh, that allowed us to provide large quantities of affordable energy to industry. And if we don't look around us and realize that the sustainability and price revolutions that are going on in the energy field because of renewables are ones that we have to act on, uh, our economy is just gonna be left behind. So I don't see gas as our future, and I, I'll set aside climate crisis for a moment. Even just on the numbers, it's not our future.
0: Well, I, I love I love how you brought it back to business, basically right <laughs> it, no it's kind of interesting right it's 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 because that's you're sort of taking the argument and 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 not using it against them and i hate the us them but using it against those on the other side of this conversation but it's like guys we got to we got to we got to think about it all we got to look at it comprehensively and and um yeah and it seems to me that you know all good all good conversations uh, never come to an end. And unfortunately, ours 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 is uh, having to come to an end. Mark, you've been very quiet.
2: Well, well, I think what we're getting is you're getting a hint at what the episode is going to be like. <laughs> That's right you know, <laughs> yeah. you know that uh, you know if you want to see Bill and Peter discuss all of the things that Peter has just spoken about, then tune in and and watch the episode or or stream it at tvo.org but org. but um that's like a perfect teaser for what the episode is about
0: yep. It really is, and I and if I can, I there was just one beautiful note, and I think you and Bill, Peter, you and Bill did this beautifully, and I'm sure there was lots of stuff that didn't make it into the episode. But the quote was to to emerge with a better understanding of the issue and of each other, and that came out of the McLean's piece. and And Mark, I again, congratulations, and and all this applause you hear is for you on this one, and and your team and TVO for for taking the risk because I I think this is not only a valuable show, but it's it's valuable debate and. And 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 uh, your season five renewal, I guess, is a good sign of that.
2: Yeah. And I'm off to Los Angeles this weekend to have meetings about doing a U.S. version. Wow. The franchise rights
0: alone are going to make you rich beyond your wildest dreams.
2: That's not really how television documentaries
0: work, <laughs> Isn't that, Peter, isn't that how <laughs> politics works? Not my party.
2: Yeah, so. <laughs> we're we're both in agreement here about all of that.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Listen guys, thanks so much for your 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 time today and and for the conversation and for having a little bit of fun along the way Peter Tabbins and Mark Johnson talking about uh well all things political and energy and 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 about political blind dates. Really appreciate your time.
2: Thanks David. Thank you.